Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went on their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you can find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Good afternoon. It is good to be together once again this Lord's Day. And I invite you to have open in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, the reading that we just had before us was what is called the parable of the wedding feast or the marriage feast. And so that is what we're going to be studying tonight, that parable of Jesus. Um, this kind of goes back to a class that Kyle taught uh, back in uh, the summer of last year. Uh, I think he gave me a lot of ideas to preach on. I don't remember all of them nearly as all, half of them. I don't remember any of them. But this was one that definitely got my attention because I realized I had not studied this in, in depth as I would have liked. And so I decided I would preach on it at some point at a later point in time. And that has come around to this evening. And so we hope that you will take out your Bibles and study along with us this afternoon. And by way of introduction of this parable of Jesus, Jesus had come into the city of Jerusalem in the chapter prior. In chapter 21 and in verse 9, Jesus was welcomed by the crowds in Jerusalem. As this was entering the last week of His life, they said the crowds going ahead of Him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. These people had come to realize who Jesus was, and they were greatly accepting Him as the King of the Jews. And they then began to confront some of the religious crowd in Jerusalem, rocking the boat, as every good preacher will do from time to time. And Jesus definitely confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees and asking them questions over the course of that last week of his life. And it was through taking several chapters in 
the Gospel of Matthew until the very end of his life, in the, in the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And so as Jesus was confronting the Pharisees and the Jewish authorities in that time, in that first couple of days of that last week, in Matthew chapter 21, he begins giving parables about the kingdom and offering some explanation about his role as king. And so you make no uh, bone about it, he was coming and fully accepting his role as the Messiah, as the Christ, and he was beginning to engage the people within that role. And he offers the parable of the two sons at the end of chapter 21, verse 28. And following, he offers the parable of the two sons in which he shows what true repentance ought to look like. And that if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, it is going to involve repenting. Turning from sin, turning from rejection, and doing the Father's will. And then you have the parable of the landowner in which Jesus offered some understanding of what it was going to be like to enter into the kingdom of heaven and how people ought to receive God's plan and be receptive of it and not reject the one who was going to be God's messenger and that they should not put to death the Son of God was the conclusion that they came to. And in chapter 22, you have the third parable, the parable of the wedding feast. And that's the parable we are going to study this evening. But this is a parable that offers an invitation. It offers a grand invitation to come and take part in the Messianic kingdom, to come and engage with the king and be a part of the king's table to, to dine with him. And so there's this gracious invitation, but there's also a very stern warning within this parable. There's a stern warning that if you reject this invitation, or if you do not live up to the requirement of this invitation, there's judgment. There's, there is punishment that is ahead. And so there is the dual reality that there is grace and judgment. And that is what the gospel contains, is a gracious promise of salvation. Come and be part of the king's table. Come to the feast. Or there's punishment for rejection and not conforming to the king's ideals. And so there is a challenge for us as we study this parable. We have to ask ourselves, who are we going to be? How are we going to respond? Are we going to be the people who are chosen? It says many are called, but few are chosen. So are we only going to be part of the called, or are we going to be part of the chosen? And so what we want to see as we study this parable is, as we pointed out, this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And as we have seen in the background of this is Jesus publicly defending and accepting his messianic mission. He is embracing his role as the king of kings and king of the Jews and that he is uh, 
fully on board with this and he is teaching it very publicly and he is accepting this role and he expects other people to acknowledge who he is. As other people had began to acknowledge him as he entered into Jerusalem, now he's expecting everyone to acknowledge who he is. This is a parable about the Messianic kingdom and it has come in place after two other parables about rejecting the Messiah and rejecting the will of God. And so as you continue to read in this parable in verse uh, 2, this king gives a wedding feast for his son. And in verse 3, the king he sends out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. And this is something that is interesting as you look at the language there in verse 3. As he says, as Jesus gives this parable and telling that he, this king sends out his slaves to call those who had been invited. Notice that. These are people who had been invited. The servants and the slaves are going out and calling the RSVP list, basically. They're not, it's not just this overarching uh, uh, list of people who are being invited. The, the list has already been called down, if you will. This is the announcement that, hey, it's time to come. These are the people who have already said, yes, we will be there. As you know, if you have ever had a wedding that you've been a part of, you know that not everyone that you send an invitation to will come. You might hope to get a gift from everyone that uh, you invite, but you don't expect everyone to always come. And so that's why you have an RSVP by this particular date. So we know that you are coming. And so the slave, the slaves go out and they go to the people who RSVP, the people who had already been invited, and the slave is calling those, okay, it's time. Come to the feast. But they were unwilling, it says. They were unwilling to come. The guests were unwilling to come. They refused the king's goodness and the gracious provisions of the banqueting food. The king he, uh, tells his slaves, in verse 4, again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner. Don't think that this is going to be delayed. I have prepared the dinner. The oxen and the fattened livestock, they have been killed and they have been prepared. It's time to come to the feast. It's time. All things are ready. But they were unwilling and they refused the good and the gracious invitation of the king. It says in verse 5, but they paid no attention and went their way. They just ignore these slaves and the servants that are saying, hey, it's time to come. They just ignore them. They're unwilling to hear this invitation. They're just blatantly refusing it. And they will not engage. They paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. The guests ignored the king's slaves. They just returned to their routine and their business. 
And then they go so far in verse 6 that the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. That's a little extreme, isn't it? Have you ever gotten a wedding invitation or an invitation to some party and you just say, well, that just angers me. I'm going to go kill them. you know, Or go kill the postman for bringing this to me. Can you imagine that? Getting an invitation to come somewhere and engage in, in the festivities and the celebration of something that's good and wholesome and then getting so angered and you're willing to kill somebody? Whenever you scorn the king's son, you're scorning the king. You're scorning the king and his, his son and his people. You know, while you might ignore an invitation that comes in the mail, if you refuse to go to a wedding, it's an indictment against the bride and groom, perhaps. But it's also an indictment against the host of the wedding and the banquet, the parents of the groom. And this king, he was throwing a celebration on behalf of his son. And the people, they have no honor for the son or the king. And they kill the king's slaves. If someone scorns the king's son, then you are scorning the king. And Jesus is addressing the Jews in Jerusalem about how this king had provided everything for the wedding feast. This king had acted graciously towards the guests, but they were rejecting the king's son and the king himself. And obviously, I think we can see some of the application that Jesus is the king's son. The king is God. And Jesus is warning about the Jews and their rejection of God's Son. The Apostle Paul would write in great detail in the book of Romans in chapter 9 through 11, a section of Scripture that we don't have time to study in great detail tonight, but in chapters 9 through 11, Paul is addressing this very issue. At the beginning of chapter 9 of Romans, he, is, he says in verse 1, I am telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul, he is deeply sorrowful for his brethren in the flesh. The Israelites, he says in verse 4, to whom belong the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. And he's realizing that not all Jews have come to believe and accept Jesus as their Messiah. And so Paul takes chapters 9, 10, and 11 and he deals with this. And how this was not unprecedented. In chapter 11 and in verses 2 and 3, he appeals to the example of Elijah. And he says in, verse, in chapter 11 and verse 2 of the book of Romans, God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. 
Or do you not know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and alone, I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Paul's point is that this is not unprecedented. They, tore, they built up altars. They rejected the prophets. They rejected Elijah. Israel had, had a history of rejecting God's will and rejecting God's servants, rejecting God's prophets. Because Israel was hardened and unreceptive. You continue on in verse in chapter 11, in verses 7 through 10, he goes on, What then, what Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it was written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. Israel was unwilling to accept God's plan for the kingdom. This is what Jesus is trying to get us get the people to see and to avoid in the shape of the parable of the wedding feast. Jesus is trying pleading and begging the people to open their eyes and to hear about the rejection of God and His redemptive plan. They need to be the ones who would accept it. They are the ones who have RSVP'd. The Jews were the ones who were saying, yes, we are willing. But then they did not follow through. They said, yes, we will come. But then when the time comes, they don't engage. They refuse the king's invitation. And even more than just refusal, they become murderous. They respond with hatred and evil. And Jesus, in the previous parable in Matthew chapter 21, in Matthew chapter 21, he had been trying to get the people in the parable of the landowner whenever Jesus was talking to the Jews and he was trying to convey this idea that the landowner, he was sending out his messengers to his workers in the vineyard land. And he would send out his messengers and they would refuse to listen. And then he said, aha, okay, I will send out my son. And then that will convince them to listen. And they kill the son. And Jesus comes to realize and he tells them in verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. That the kingdom of God is not just going to be left for you. If you're going to refuse 
the kingdom, if you're going to refuse the invitation to come to the feast, to come and sit and dine at the king's table, that invitation is going to be revoked and it's going to be given to others. That the kingdom of God was going to be stripped away from the Jews and given to another people. That's something that is continues to be a point that we will see throughout this study tonight. Israel was deeply hardened and they refused to listen to God's prophets and even God's Son. And whenever you reject the king's good invitation, it warrants judgment. In Matthew chapter 22, turning back to the parable of the wedding feast, in verse 7 it says, But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. You can imagine being the king for a moment, can't you? That you have prepared this celebration. You're, you're excited because of your son's wedding. And that you have invited all the important people to come. They have even said, yes, we will come at some prior point. And then whenever it's time to actually come, they refuse. And then the slaves that you sent out to tell them, hey, it's time to come feast, they actually end up killing them. You can imagine how a king might feel about that. He would be quickly angered because his honor was being questioned. His power, his authority was being questioned and ridiculed. And so in because of the rejection of the king's son and the king's grace, he sends his armies to destroy the murderers of the king's slave. I think sometimes our, our modern day sensibilities and our growing up in the time of, of limited government probably removes us from appreciating the absolute power of a monarch during ancient times. But a monarch who had absolute control of his army and they just and if they just said go they went one writer put it this way the parable's audience would naturally applaud the king's rage as just that this was the only right response for the king to get angry and to go and destroy the city and kill those murderers except those who were aware that the lesson was aimed at them. Which some people certainly did earlier in chapter 21 in verse 45. It says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard His parables, they understood that He was speaking about them. The author goes on, The violence is realistic. After such an insult to a king's honor, nothing less than such vengeance as verse 7 depicts, would satisfy His honor. The king was not just lashing out because he wanted to, 
It was an insult to him. It was a slap in the face to his authority and to his kingdom and to his son. The next in line. Rejecting the king's gracious invitation and his son was was insulting, but it was also a refusal to acknowledge his authority. And the king could not let that go unpunished. He was not just flying off the handle. He responded with a just and righteous reaction. And we have to understand the point of the parable at this juncture. That what Jesus is trying to get in particular, that original audience that was listening to Him speak, that when they would reject God's invitation of grace and salvation, but when you reject that, judgment is deserved. Because God has always demanded righteous obedience to His will. God does not just fly off the handle when He is... Angry, he responds with the appropriate response of righteousness and justice. And when someone rejects God's invitation of grace and salvation, judgment is deserved for outright blatant refusal of dishonoring God, rejecting His salvation, rejecting His grace, rejecting His authority, and rejecting His power. In passages such as Deuteronomy chapter 11, in the law of Moses, that the Jews would have been intimately aware of, in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 1, he says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commandments. Again, in verse 13 of Deuteronomy chapter 11, Again, a passage that they would have been familiar with. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. That God has demanded everything. Obedience to the nth degree. But then there's the warning in verse 16. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. God has always warned about punishment associated with disobedience. And whenever there was such insolence as in this parable, that they would become murderous. There was no other reaction that would have been fair or right other than for the king to deal with those murderers. Destroying the city and setting it on fire. That is what awaits anyone who refuses the king's invitation. But as you continue on, that's not where the 
parable ends. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 8. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. The king had gone to such great lengths to prepare the wedding feast. And just because people weren't going to come, he wasn't going to allow that to all be wasted. The king was not going to allow that to spoil the feast and the celebration. And so after he had dealt with those traitors, he tells his slaves, go and invite anyone to come. Because the first group, this is a key word that he says there in verse 8, they were not worthy. They were unworthy. They were unworthy. Just remember that word. We're going to come back to it in a little bit. That first group of people that had said, yeah, we'll come, they have proved themselves to be unworthy of the king's grace and his invitation. And so now even the good and the evil are invited. I think what Jesus is trying to convey here is the importance of the messianic mission. That he came to seek and to save those who were lost. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, in Matthew chapter 9, and in verse 11, Jesus had been eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, they saw Jesus and His disciples associating with those people. And they, they wanted His disciples to go ask your teacher... Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, He said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus and His mission, He did not care if you were Jew or Gentile or if you were the worst sinner on the face of the earth. He came to heal you. He came to offer healing. Grace is what Jesus gave. An opportunity for repentance, to be transformed, to be changed. That's what Jesus came to offer. That's the point that the parable is trying to get us to understand. That the messianic mission and the kingdom of God are about reaching the lost and the unrighteous. It's not just about reaching those who are like us in self-righteousness. It's about reaching those who are genuinely lost and who realize that they need God's help. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul and, and Barnabas, they had left for their first preaching trip. 
And they had arrived at Antioch of Pisidia. And in Acts chapter 13, they come to the Jewish synagogue and they preach there. They preach about Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, who God raised up and that He is the fulfillment of the, of the promise and the covenant that God had made with David that Jesus is our King. It's a great sermon and I'd encourage you to go home and read it tonight or some later this week. But as Paul is preaching, there are a great many of the Jews who do not want to hear it. It says in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Paul is saying that the Gospel is going to now be taken to the Gentiles because you Jews, you have repudiated, you have dishonored the King, you have rejected the King's message, you have rejected the Gospel. You have proven yourselves unworthy just as the King in the parable, remember? And that the people who received that first invitation were unworthy. They were not worthy. Jesus had taught about the acceptance of all people coming into the kingdom, Jew and Gentile. Throughout his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew the 8th chapter, and in verse 10. Matthew records for us as Jesus was performing all these miracles. Now when Jesus heard this, He marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. This was after this Roman centurion had asked Him to come and heal a servant of His. And He says that He was a man also under authority and Jesus marveled at His great faith. And Jesus then says in verse 11, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That people are going to come from all over, the east and the west, and they're going to come and be a part of the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then He says in verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
the kingdom of God was not just for the Jewish people. They rejected the message of Jesus and the Messiah. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are humble. To those who are humble and willing to accept God's Word. Those who would become a part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. It would be the person who was wholly dedicated to following God and keeping His commandments. Jesus described such a person in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the poor in spirit, the humble, who would receive the kingdom. You can go through any of the, the Beatitudes and you can make application, but you can also see that it's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the ones who are satisfied. You think about hungering and thirsting, that's if you're going to throw a, a wedding celebration, a wedding feast, you want some hungry people to come. Don't you? It's not just about physical nourishment, it's about spiritual nourishment. Those who would be satisfied with God's Word and God's invitation it would be the pure in heart. Jesus said in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's the pure in heart who would see God as their King and they would respond with acceptance and obedience to His invitation. Jesus is preparing His followers and His disciples to understand that the kingdom of God is for anyone who would respond positively to his grace and to his invitation. Sinners who would turn away from their sin to come and be healed. But then, as the parable ends, in Matthew chapter 22 and in verse 11, it says, But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. There's a lot of different ideas about why this man was not dressed appropriately. That according to some, the king, the host of a wedding party such as this, that he might provide clothing for people. To, that he would pr provide the, the right kind of clothing for that party. And here's a man who just refused the king's clothing. Or it might have been that he did not wear fresh, clean clothes that you might expect at a wedding function. But no matter what, 
I think what you see is that this man's dress revealed something about this man's attitude. And the king saw that. And the king was dishonored by it. The king asks the man, he gives him a chance to to defend himself. In verse 12, he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. It's interesting that while this man was clearly dressed inappropriately for such an occasion, the king acknowledges him as his friend. Showing that the king's grace, his attitude, his kindness... But what's interesting, in the Gospel of Matthew, the word friend is used only three times. And on each occasion that the word friend is used in the Gospel of Matthew, it's always towards someone who is acting unfriendly. Most notably, just a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 26, Perhaps you know the verse already where we might be going. But in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane on the night that He was betrayed, Judas had come with the soldiers and He had told them that whoever I kiss, He's the one sees Him. And immediately, verse 49, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hell, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. It's interesting that here in Matthew chapter 22, when the man, the king, says, Friend, it's also filled with the connotations of rejection and dishonor that this man is rejecting the king. He had come into the feast, but just because you are brought into the feast to be able to dine with the king, that doesn't mean that you cannot dishonor the king. It's interesting that as Jesus gives this parable, He concludes in verse 13, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man is cast out of the wedding feast for bringing shame and dishonor to the king. What Jesus is trying to get us to see is that anyone, Jew or Gentile, who dishonors God, will be cast into hell. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12, he's talking about the sons of the kingdom, the Jews who were born into the Abrahamic covenant. That they should have known God's plan. They would be thrown into that place where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here as it's the Gentiles that are pictured as bringing brought into the king's, uh, as the king's dinner guests. They can dishonor the king. They can be cast into hell. Because we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There is no partiality with God. We will all have to give an account for how we have lived, Jew or Gentile. And 
In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 11, Paul warns even the Gentiles that yes, the Jews had been cast out, but that does not leave room for the Gentiles to behave however they would like to. In Romans chapter 11 and in verse 17, he says, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are the arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Or in the language of the parable feast, those people were rejected and I was able to be brought in. In verse 20, quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fail severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. makes it very clear that even once you are brought in and accepted by God, you can dishonor the Lord. You can bring dishonor and shame to God. There are two contrasting pictures in the parable of the wedding feast. There are the first group in the first half of the parable. People who pretend to accept the invitation, but then ultimately refuse it. They said, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll show up. We'll be there. But when it's time to come, they have nothing to do with it. They keep up the facade and the appearance that, yeah, we're, we're going to do what's right to accept this invitation. But then they have nothing but disdain for it. The king's invitation and his grace. That's the first group. Then you have the second group. The man who comes into the feast but he does not conform to what the king expects. And the point is that both of them dishonor the king and both are deserving of judgment. God does not accept those who dishonor him. He does not. And we as the people of God, citizens in the kingdom of heaven, those who are saved by God's grace, just because we were at one point saved and forgiven and accepted in, doesn't mean that we have a permanent seat there. It means that if we are not behaving as the king expects us to, 
we can bring dishonor to Him and there will be punishment. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, in Hebrews chapter 6 and in verse 4, there's a strong warning here. He says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4, the Hebrew writer says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the heavenly or, or the Holy Spirit. Notice the language there of banqueting. Tasting of the heavenly gift. And have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away it is impossible to renew them again to repentance and say, again, crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. That's what those people in the parable that Jesus was speaking to, that original audience, that's what He was warning them about. About rejecting God's Son. Rejecting Him. Rejecting the kingdom that He had come to establish. And for whoever would bring dishonor and shame to the King, there's punishment. We must always be committed to following God's will and conforming to His expectations. We come to God and to the feast on His terms not on ours. And so Jesus ends in verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. God calls us through the gospel of His grace. He invites us to come and to participate in His salvation. Many are called, but few are chosen because few Accept the invitation. Are you accepting of the Lord's invitation? Will you come to the feast? Tonight, we want to extend the Lord's invitation to you. The Lord wants you to come. He wants you to come and believe in His Son. Accept His Son as the king. But if you scorn the king's son, Jesus Christ, you are rejecting God and His measure of grace and salvation. The Lord has opened His invitation for any and all who will humbly accept the invitation and come to the feast. We need to come to Him in faith and obedience, doing His will, conforming our lives to the life of His dear Son. And by God's grace, God invites you to come and to take part in the wonderful gift of eternal life. Yet if you spurn His invitation, He will judge you and He will punish you. Tonight, just as Jesus said in the parable, all things are ready. Come to the feast. We invite you to come to the Lord. If we can help you in some way, would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing?